You're listening to The Capital Table. Private capital markets have been evolving for many years, but never more so than in recent times. Take a seat at The Capital Table with leading experts discussing insights into the private equity and M&A worlds, and take away the knowledge you need to excel in a rapidly changing marketplace. We know this is one table you'll leave feeling full and satisfied. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of The Capital Table. Uh, Excited today to be talking about ESG, certainly a topic that many of our private equity clients are increasingly seeing as important to their investment decisions, to their uh, relationships with their investors, and, and excited to have Joe Holman with me, who's our ESG practice leader here at Witham as part of our advisory services practice. So welcome, Joe. Hi, Steve. Thank you for having me here. I'm very excited actually to be on here to actually clear up some misnomers on ESG, as well as to show how ESG can be used within the investment process. Um, You ask 10 people what ESG means and you'll get 20 different answers. So I'd like to be able to have this chance to explain how ESG works within the investment process, explain its usefulness in the capital markets, and show really how um, important it is of a tool that should be within an M&A process. Yeah, and it certainly is, and certainly is becoming more and more as time goes on here. So, you know, let's start, Joe, with talking about the business rationale behind ESG. Well, it really comes down to ESG is about identifying responsible companies, and the premise is responsible companies are better companies. So we're looking for companies that have Uh, these types of attributes. They respect the environment, they value their employees, they understand the benefits of diversity, they're good corporate citizens, and they have strong corporate governance. These are all factors that you would look at when analyzing a company, and these are all also factors that make a responsible company, or I would like to say a more valuable company. So when you're looking at ESG, you're really just trying to identify these types of responsible companies. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And certainly, I think many people feel that what ESG means in the M&A world is that you're just investing in sustainable investments like green energy, for example. Is that what it means? No, no. And that's really the misnomer that you have. And I speak to clients initially, certainly private equity funds, and they'll say, does that mean I can't invest in oil or gas anymore? Does that mean that I'm limited in my investable universe? And the answer is no. We're just asking that you consider ESG as part of the investment process. Consider these factors alongside traditional financial analysis. So what ESG means is you're using these non-financial factors within the investment process, and they could be used in many different ways. So for impact investors, for instance, you're using these non-financial factors to identify impact. So building housing for the poor, building hospital beds, cleaning water for a community. And the purpose of this particular activity is to create an impact, not necessarily a financial return, but that's not what most investors use this for. Most investors use ESG as a way to create value and satisfy investor requirements without infringing on returns or reducing the investable universe. So. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess looking at private equity firms, other buy side investors, I mean, their objectives when they look at 
ESG in addition to what you just said? What are they really focused on? What private equity firms are looking for when they're doing this is they're using ESG as a way to identify sources of risk and long-term opportunities. And they're also trying to meet investor demands. These are the three elements of an ESG program or a strategy. And they do this again by evaluating material non-financial ESG factors that identify these risks and opportunities. And if I can just keep going into this, I want to talk about ESG, say due diligence. And really what happens is you have these private equity firms that conduct ESG due diligence on their target companies, or you can have a company like ours do ESG due diligence on single transactions. But it's really the same thing where we go to the firms and we ask a series of questions to identify these non-financial factors and evaluate these factors. And then we include those factors within an investment memorandum. And then the investment committees usually can consider those factors and make an investment decision. Now, they can come across with bad factors or good factors, but they'll factor that in to the cost of capital. So, for instance, if they identify a company that has a lot of waste or they pollute or they um, have labor problems, they may want to discount the value of that company because of those issues. Uh, from a long-term opportunity standpoint, they'll look for a company that will have um, create, say, move towards sustainable energy because the world is moving to a low-carbon economy. So these are all types of factors that we want to consider. Yeah, those are, you know, interesting examples. And, you know, can you expand on how private equity firms are identifying these sources of risk and, and opportunities in addition to what you just mentioned? Yeah, no, so there's there's a group called SASB, Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, that looked into across 77 different industries and they have 30 different factors. And they actually created a, over a thousand metrics as a way to analyze a company. Now, no one company fits into the, the bucket that SASB might have created, but we'll look at that as a starting point and we'll create questions uh, from that list of 1,000 to be able to ask that target company in analyzing uh, them from an ESG standpoint. So we'll do that or the private equity company does that. And you'll see that those types of, you'll see those questionnaires coming through if you're on the sell side. And those questionnaires are generally revolving around the environmental questions like your emissions. They're looking at your supply chain. If your uh, supply chain is material to your business, they're looking at your labor relations if labor is uh, important to your business. So a service type of company we'll see, and that's a service type, like what are your labor relations within the service company? If it's a franchise company, what percentage of your employees are um, paid minimum wage? Um, from a supply chain standpoint, it's actually a very interesting thing that we came up the other day where in China, there's a province where uh, Biden passed a law in, two, in the end of 2021 that they were not allowed to buy goods or services and import them into the United States uh, from this particular region. And this region creates 75% of the cotton created in China. So all that cotton, where does it go? It's got to enter the supply chain somewhere. And if it's not allowed in the United States, it must get in there somewhere back door. And Nike actually got caught buying this cotton, going into a middleman, creating their sneakers and then selling it here. So Nike several years ago got dinged for child labor 
now we another company got they got dinged again for buying cotton from a region of China where they have uh, slave or forced labor and so on. So these are examples of what companies, what private equity firms are looking for when doing due diligence is just what are the risks associated with it? Um, again, there's one other thing to really think about though is when doing an investment, are you buying equity or are you doing debt? So on the equity side, it's a much longer time horizon for your investment. So you're really thinking about how long, you know, what can happen from an ESG standpoint during that long time horizon. So you have much more of a risk, from a transitional risk, certainly for climate change, if your product has elements of carbon or from a, um, just elements from a change of consumer um, preferences. So those are types of transitional risks that you consider from an equity standpoint, and you're looking at the opportunities because of those change in preferences that people today, they like one thing, but you know they're moving to something else, just like electric vehicles. You see car manufacturers today are starting to create them, and in years from now, they may be the only cars available. Uh, oil and gas industries, you see them now becoming energy companies, and where today they're selling oil and gas, tomorrow they may only be selling renewable energies. That's a transitional long-term. Uh, most debt firms, when you sell private debt, are only three to five years, so they're only interested in the risks associated with those three to five years. And in equity, of course, you're interested in upside. When you're debt, you're just interested in protecting your collateral. So anything that can risk your collateral is what's considered through an ESG analysis. So we'll look at things like waste in terms of uh, lender liability. We're going to look at things where um, if you're thinking about the company's got to get refinanced to be able to get paid off, uh, are they, is the company doing things that's going to hurt your ability to refinance it from a labor standpoint, a business ethics standpoint, things like that. So we really, you know, those are the items that we focus on. But one area I haven't even touched upon as investors. Certainly that is the, you know, shifting the perspective to the investors. I mean, certainly they have demands. And as you're looking at that, I mean, how does that differ when you're looking at the findings that uh, they're looking for in terms of the source of risk and opportunity? And, and ultimately, as investors into these private equity firms, is it about returns for them? Or is there more to the story as it relates to ESG? Well, first of all, think about who the investors are. And we're speaking about institutional investors. So we're looking at pension plans, endowments, large public companies that are these asset owners who are then owned by the general public who are very aware and passionate about sustainability, energy, climate change. You have all of the EU is focused on climate change. You have the United States is very big on DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion within the assets that these companies associate with. So what you'll find, though, is that they are focused on these sustainable outcomes, but they need to have returns. So they sort of want their cake and eat it, too. Um, but we'll, there is this big push behind this. I'm going to start by back for a moment and say that the reason why I'm even here today is because the investor pressure on firms to look at ESG to begin with. So there's a group called PRI, Principles for Responsible Investment, that controls over $100 trillion of assets. And it was created with the premise of using the capital markets to create real world uh, social change. So 
PRI has 3,000 signatories, and those 3,000 signatories incorporate ESG within their investment process. So they then push that down to the PE firms who now need to incorporate ESG within their investment process. And my job is to help the firms not just meet the satis satisfy the demands of having these policies, but to actually create this, um, identify the values that I talked about before. But we're also looking for the sustainable outcomes, which is the is what the investor likes. So what we'll do is we'll look at the companies and we'll look for as a byproduct of their activities, we'll see a sustainable outcome. So a company, for instance, is recycling uh, as a garbage hauler, but is able to recycle some of that waste better and have less of that waste go to the dump or landfills. That's a sustainable outcome. Or you have a, a company that's buying up land and building housing and they happen to be selling the housing at lower than market values or they're able to do it in a way to to allow middle class or underserved communities to have housing they're looking for the return but a byproduct is they're providing housing to a community that really needs that housing or they're providing jobs to a community that needs those jobs and those are really that's not the premise behind the investment to do that but it's a byproduct of that investment so the investors get this get the, satisfi the satisfaction of having a great return and having that byproduct story and sustainable outcome. Yeah, it certainly uh, sounds like the ideal situation. So really interesting as we talked about the buy side, let's switch gears and you know, how is ESG viewed differently from the sell side of a transaction? Now on the sell side, it's really the mirror opposite on the buy side. So on the sell side, what you're trying to do is tell your ESG story. So the buy side, you're doing due diligence. On the sell side, you're telling a story. And what you wanna do, just like when you're selling a home, you wanna get up ahead of the curve, analyze your company from an ESG standpoint, and be able to make some minor fixes and corrections to improve its profile before you go to marketplace. You do that, uh, anyway, on the financial side, you do that um, on the uh, your debt side, you clean up your governance side, well, you clean up your ESG profile. So if you have a problem with labor and high turnover, you'll try to fix that your recruitment and retention policies so that you can re reduce turnover. Or if the story isn't positive, at least have the story to answer to your investors. So that's how you would handle it on the sell side. And it's really important because you're kind of getting ahead of the curve and being able to control the narrative. Right. Well, that's control the narrative is kind of the operative word, certainly, as you go to market on a number of categories. And it's it's interesting to our audience how ESG is going to become more and more and more prominent as we do prepare these companies for sale. So let's, uh, again, switch gears. Let's talk a little bit more, if you could, about climate change and diversity considerations. All right, climate change is something you're hearing more and more about today. And you're hearing it from the SEC is talking about having uh, companies report uh, in their form uh, 10K or form ABV information on their climate activities. Uh, you have diversity questions coming in from the investors and those considering DEI and what's your profile. I think most companies, most institutions now are reaching down into their portfolios looking to see uh, the gender and the racial makeup of the owners and the senior management. That's relatively straightforward. On the climate change though is a little bit more sophisticated. There's a group called TCFD or it's a framework 
and which is used to report on climate change. And this is what's being referenced by uh, the SEC. This is something that's also being referenced by Europe in terms of a way to report on climate. And they look at three factors, which are you have your climate risk, which is physical risk. You have transitional risk and you have regulatory risk. And the physical risk is that your climate, your company gets blown away from extreme weather, hurricanes, fire, smoke, some sort of extreme weather affects your plants and eliminate it and prevents you from doing business. And what the SEC wants you to do is disclose that risk and say how you're mitigating that risk. No different than a private equity firm when making an investment in say a hotel that's on the coast of Florida or Louisiana, what are they doing about hurricanes and how do they mitigate the hotel getting shut down? And the next one's transitional risk, which is within your investment time horizon, what is your risk that there's going to be a change in consumer preference as the as the world moves to a lower carbon economy? So if your time horizon is three years, there's probably not much of a risk, but it's an equity investment, it's infinite, then you are exposed. If you have a product that's high carbon emission related and the world transitions to low carbon emission, you need to have a plan to transition with the world. And the last regulatory uh, risk in which the regulators, the state and the governments start taxing people. So those are the three risks that the SEC and investors want you to think about regarding climate change. And then the last item, which is really what's not talked about, but it's it's the emissions. So climate change really means your greenhouse gas emissions. And this is becoming a big push where Europe wants you to measure, the European investors are pushing the US investors to measure the portfolio emissions in their portfolio. And the emissions that they're looking for is what are the emissions that occur at your property and plants? So they're looking at something called scope one and scope two emissions, and they're looking for companies to start measuring those. I personally think it's a good idea that companies start thinking about doing that and finding ways to actually, again, control the narrative in terms of emissions because as a private equity firm, they go and they analyze a company and they're going to, one of the questions they ask is what's your emissions? And if the company can say that we have mission, these are our emissions, we have emission targets in 2030 will be net zero. That's a strong story and that's a good ESG story. So that's, those are the things, that's climate change and climate change is, it's going to dominate the investment community uh, for a long time to come. Yeah, super interesting. And as our audience, I guess, starts to understand this topic better, and I guess maybe better said as you're doing your work, Joe, are there any guiding ESG principles or frameworks that can be followed? There's really two main ones. There's Sustainable Accounting Standards Board, and there's the TCFD, are the two main standards that we follow, and they're regarding the financial service community. There's a lot of other standards out there that can be looked at, but those are the two main ones. Now, developing in Europe, there's the ISSB, which is the International Sustainable Standards Board, which is using the SASB with the international accounting standards and putting it together. Uh, you also have, um, there's GRI, which is another group of people that do reporting, but GRI is more for all sorts of stakeholders where SASB is for the financial stakeholders. So there's it's no real one set like say FASB 
Financial Accounting Standards Board where you have rules to follow. It's kind of the Wild West today. So it's really up to everyone to you know think about. Yeah, and I'm sure that Wild West will get more and more tame as we go along here, but uh, they are interesting times. And you know, we've covered a lot of ground. Let's kind of bring it all together for our audience. I mean, who should consider ESG during the M&A process? Well, everyone should consider ESG. I mean, that's, and on the buy side, I mean, it's crazy not to perform an ESG due diligence because remember really what you're trying to do is identify ESG factors in addition to other factors when uh, evaluating an investment. So why would you not want to have these, consider these factors alongside your typical uh, financial analysis? You know, more information is better information. And then on the sell side, again, you've got to get ahead of the ESG story. It's critical uh, to prepare yourself properly when going to marketplace. And by preparing yourself, it assures that you have will actually get the best valuation that you can uh, given the facts and circumstances. Yeah, interesting. Well, wealth of information, Joe, certainly every time I talk to you and get more educated on this topic, it just becomes more clear how important this is to our audience. So again, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, to our audience, thanks for listening to this, uh, again, important topic on ESG on the Capitol table. We look forward to the next episode. Thank you all. You've been listening to the Capitol table. For more information, please visit witham.com. Thank you for listening.